0: Guys, today, having things lightly, Jordan Hall, philosopher, business, tech guru, and a guy who is deep in the uh, meaning crisis and what a beautiful conversation we had. Jordan Hall, big time intellect and now new friend, and you'll love this talk. Also, I gotta give a shout out to Galassi Baby. They help first things and continue to. We're going to do a KP out there with them in Seattle in March. And uh, go check out their stuff. Magnificent stuff at Glassy Baby Candles. All kinds of glassware. you got to check it out. Uh, I love that. But this is Heavy Things Lightly, our new and wonderfully branded new situation. Greg Gilbertson, play the music. All right, Jordan. So you're in it these days, uh, at least in our little corner of the world where we're trying to do meaning and figure out life. So here's my first question to you, who's uh, the term, is this proper to call you... Um, how about this? A philosopher of technology, something like that. Do you like that?
1: I, I've, I've certainly done some of that. I would say that I've delved into that meaningfully. With <clears throat> I tend to, I tend to not, I don't, for whatever reason, my life has not been easy to fit in any given box. But that's mm-hmm. the box I've been in.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing that informed me. And when, when you said you could come on, I got excited. So here's a first question and a toast. I don't know if you have a drink sitting there. I but coffee is that okay coffee works perfectly because one thing we do is throw these georgian dinners and we i'm realizing that it's like a natural way of life so i want to do a toast to get things started and how about to um the risky endeavors of the mind to things when we go down these rabbit holes where our mind is at work um may it always be accompanied with something like uh, love and beauty so to the risky endeavors of the mind Marjos, and that means to you the victory from the Georgian Republic. Gagimardos. okay Gagimardros. All right, so here's the first question. Something's happening, probably in your own life. We'll talk about that, my life, our lives. But there's also something happening in culture. So take a shot. What is, in some of your other interviews, you say something's out there. Something's coming. And how, what is it? How would you go about calling this something. That's
1: the end of the world. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is, isn't it, on some I, I, level?
1: I was on a conversation with my friend, with John, John Vervanke, and I said, look, I, I can't help it, but I'm a practical eschatologist. You know, from, from the point of view of, say, strictly material causes or a, a model of how cultures and civilizations operate, I, I say, I can say, and I do say, with some degree of confidence, obviously not certainty, but some degree of confidence, that we're at the end of something very big, like a significant end of something. Um, and how big? Well, at least 100 years big. I would say almost certainly more than 500 years big. In fact, my primary sensibility is that it's on the order of 10 to 30,000 years big. and may in fact be on the order of a million years big, right? Something really, really big is ending, which by the way also means that something really, really big is beginning, unless those right. are not. You know, Maybe no, actually, in Christian eschatology, the end is also the beginning of something, and so that's happening. And we can talk about all that if we if you want to go into sure, it. But the, sure. well, that I think is the the precursor that's happening, and then we humans are perceiving that in the ways that we perceive things. Oftentimes, very much in the background, like with not quite clear what is going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, we have this this metaphor of, of animals, you know, running into the hills mm-hmm. when an earthquake is going to yeah. happen. They can sense an earthquake in a way that's not cognitive, but it's sensed. And then they have an instinctual response. We've hijacked our instinctual responses. So we don't know how to respond. And we don't have narratives in, in secular culture that encompass this magnitude of change. And so, you know, m- many years ago, about 10 or 15 years ago, I talked about it as something that we will have to perceive through the mythopoetic register. Mm-hmm. But of course, now I'm realizing that we actually have to perceive it through, well, Christianity specifically. If, if we'd like, we kind of say religion as a kind of a broad category,
0: and that lens allows you to talk about the end of the world. That it's a proper—you con- mean that in the Christian context at this point, something like that? Well, I don't—I don't claim to know that this is the
1: the sort of the 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 end of the end of the end, like the big the big one in, right. the, in the Revelation sense. Right, um, but it's. In, in sort of a Jonathan Pageau sense, it will definitely partake of the symbolic characteristics of That's that at, at a at a, prof- at a level that is as profound as has ever happened in history so it's a pretty high bar right? if it's if it's not the big one it's, it's it's the biggest we'll ever have seen
0: yeah, do you think this is so you're you're making me think of this thought do you think that the the enlightenment we do a lot of mm. it, we create a false it's, it's not false, there's truth in it, but in order to sort of teach, I'd like to talk about old world, new world, and mm. and I, I think there's real, there's real utility in it. I understand it has problems, but what you just said makes me think that the in the Enlightenment, the idea of moving toward deism and eventually materialism and now a type of atheism, do you think it's a prepper, it was a kind of a type of preparation for this new thing it was sort of like a like a like a uh, it was a moment when we had to have that in order to have this do you think that's happening on some level? i do yeah
1: that's the conclusion that i draw
0: um
1: i mean weirdly (laughs) i was about to say i wouldn't i wouldn't frame it teleologically but actually i guess maybe i would (laughs) nowadays yeah right Uh right right (laughs) I haven't explored that. Like, there's so much about my, my my life where I haven't really brought everything into a single unified way of thinking, nor do I necessarily need to. I have a single unified way of living, and that is what the, the core tone is. And there's like stuff hanging out there. I'm like, yeah, I really haven't thought about, you know, how do I feel about teleology in relationship with right. things that are happening in chronological time? Um, so that makes no difference in how I'm actually live. So. Yes. It's a big question. Yeah, do, Are you familiar at all with the work that uh, Craig Henriquez has
0: done with the N- uh, the joint points? No, but go for it. Ritz so on it if you he,
1: want. He's put together what I think is a very nice model. Uh, wh- wh- one of the things I really like about it is that he got there as a psychologist, but was a practicing clinical and then, then an academic studying metapsychology. Like how do we deal with the branches? Of, the fact that psychology is made up of distinct disciplines that aren't connected in any meaningful way. Uh, right. it's, like it's, a, it's a grab bag. It's the most grab bag of the, of, the, of the sciences. And in order to resolve that problem, he ended up having to actually create a whole meta theory of history, like big history, all the way from the, the inception of the material world all the way up to, to now. And what he what he identifies is there's a series of apocal moments, you know, the apocal moment of physics, the apocal moment of chemistry, the apocal moment of biology, the apocal moment we call minded animals' behavior apocal moment that we've been living as humans which is culture and then his theory which is has like it's not broad brush it has very particular reasons why things happen the way they happen indicates that we're at the end of the apocalypse moment of culture and the beginning of some new epoch which he just calls the fourth or fifth joint point i can't remember which number it is and i consistently forget which one it is <laughs> um so so in that context what we, what we might say and i apologize by the way if this is too heady if it is just cut me off. No, 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 no. It, it's great. Describe great. Um, if we've been in the epochal moment of, of culture, let's move back one level. So prior to the epoch, to the epoch of culture is the epoch of behavior. These animals, hmm. things that have neuro- neuro- neurology that can take perception input and produce outputs that are distinct based upon some characteristics of what behavior is affected. So prey flees, hunter pursues, that kind of stuff, Um, which requires nervous systems to do. And nervous system is the underlying requirement to get to the point where you can have behavior and then you have behavior. And then what happens is you unlock this exploration of all the different variations on behavior, all the different variations on perception, processing, and, and action. And there's many the schooling fish, the schooling birds. But there's also this thing called communication. Communication is a kind of behavior. And you you, you just nodded your head, yes. And I, being mm-hmm. an, a hominid human, recognize the signification of that as something like hearing and agreeing in some fashion, at least within the mm-hmm. Western culture. So at the end, or not the end, but at the high point, the high watermark of behaviors, this very, very complex, narrow category of behavior that is built on top of the fact that humans have very subtle facial expressions and very high capacity to perceive these distinctions and can ulate sounds with extremely diverse um, tones and glottal stops and things like that, which give rise to an affordance for a particular kind of behaviors, language, communication, that then transitions us through this new category called culture. There's other elements like memory and, and things like that. But, and By the way, fathers, like, there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes into that box, bucket Uh, But that bucket then pops us through, this thing he calls a joint point, into a whole new regime, which wasn't possible in reality in chronological history before, which is culture. Okay. So then what happens is the same thing. Culture begins to explore the space of possibility of culture. There's lots of different variations on how you can do culture. Um, There's cultures that have child sacrifices woven into the nature of those cultures. There's cultures that do things like... um, um, pacifist cultures cultures that actually have a strict or there's, there's cultures that has strict restrictions on having children like strictly yeah. non-procreative cultures they don't last very long but there are some um and just like in the previous iteration the high watermark of behavior puts us through to the edge of something that is in some sense the fulfillment of behavior which then gives rise to this new category of culture we're nearing the high watermark of
0: culture of necessity of culture rather. and now, is culture and I want to go back because I have a I have a foundational question that I think undermines that analysis, but in a good way, like, like, like we should, you know, like question, like a scientific kind of question, but, and does that end of that epoch, then, is this where the civium is this where the new kind of digital culture, I don't, culture is the wrong word, a new type of being starts to be be born? Or is it? A total end of this this way of being for humans, and something more like like the end of the world as per Revelation. Ha, what is the end, in terms of that analysis you just gave it? Well, gave in, us? in this analysis,
1: we could just kind of use the, the, the comparison to the past. Like behavior doesn't go away when culture emerges; behavior stays, and then this new thing culture emerges, um, and there's particular like a. a, a solidification of a particular category of behavior you think about like the way that the child a, a human child develops I see. I I they actually see. go through all the different stages um and then when they come out as an infant they recapitulate behavior in a very particular fashion which builds the substrate of the ability to be recipients of culture mm-hmm. somewhere around four or five to become capable of becoming cultural beings and then and then they begin learning culture right? So then they, and they move into the culture journey um, so same thing here. Like we will, we will find in, in, in this story, in this way of thinking about things, which I like. I mean, it's not my, it's not mine, mm-hmm. and I am not sort of. Uh,
0: but it's comfortable to you. Though.
1: But I, I think it's, I think it's rich. I think it's got a lot of good yeah. Yeah. pieces to it. Um, when we get to this joint point, we will get to something like a, um, a stable, and compact culture that then provides a foundation for some other kind of new thing. And the, and the problem is that we're about about some other kind of new thing. It's very difficult to talk about what's on the other side of that.
0: Um, a, new ontos, very, very, a, new, a new ontology, a, a new yeah, way of yeah, being. Yeah, a new way of being, yeah. Now take that analysis, I'll go back now. I don't know, this may be too heady or, or I might just be confusing and you know? all. Uh, By the way, it's nice to have you. Did I tell you that yet? So check this out. Christianity for me, uh, I'm my Orthodox Christianity over 27 years, because I went through kind of what a lot of people are going through now. I I, like jumped the the gun a little bit. I'm thankful, but, or I was given that. I I didn't do it. I was given it. But what happened with me is, is that analysis, which is beautiful, it has a degree of rational seamlessness. It, I think we could make sense of it. What happened with me is, is I realized through orthodoxy that all of those assumptions are based in something like the enlightenment value of reason. Mm-hmm. And, and so what happened with me is, is I started to realize that, that those assumptions were built into the very notion of evolution as if we can understand it. In other words, evolution as something that teaches... For me, no longer is true. Evolution doesn't teach. I'm not even sure it's a real thing. And I wonder, as you become Christian, um, and are becoming, I like becoming. Uh, for our guys out there, maybe we'll we'll tell the conversion story, but you, this powerful thinker, became Christian recently in the last year or so. I wonder if, if this analysis won't be able to live anymore in your mind as per the adoption of your Christianity, I don't know, and I possible. I just wonder what yeah, you think totally about possible.
1: that. No, no, it's, I I understand exactly. Well, that's not true. I have a sense of what you're talking about, and I have experienced certain things that have had like have dissolved. Let's say, and you say can no longer live because the the underlying presuppositions that they require, those presuppositions are now exposed as not being well. Presupposed, and that wouldn't be true. Not true. <laughs> oh, um, and they just kind of go away. The, the the footing underneath it. So as you say, there is an underlying presupposition of if we endeavor to make our understanding of of reality subject to being reasonable, or subject to the way that reason grasps things, then it looks like this, and this is right. sort of the most reasonable story right. that we can tell. But that's not the whole story. And so, uh, and, and, you
0: know, I, I don't know if you know, but I've been quite influenced by the, by the Orthodox, not as much as you know. I don't know. I, and by the way, feel free to talk about it. I think people yeah, listening would, I, would be interested in that. Um, m- many of the challenges that I had in
1: moving through into Christianity, as it turns out, were actually just artifacts from narrow versions of Christianity in kind of American 20th century, 19th, 20th century Protestantism. Right. But the understanding of sin in a particular way. And when I sort of said, "Well, you know, there's lots of Christians out there who have different perspectives on things, who are committed, like they're not pretending, they're not just a play acting, they're like really seriously committed over like thousands of years." Um, let me delve into that. Like, so I started looking at the Orthodox. And I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's actually, in some sense, super obvious." Like as you as you sort of in, come into a relationship with the Orthodox sensibility on the nature of sin, you're like, Oh yeah, that yeah. kind of feels like that describes reality. That's not, <laughs> huh? Okay, great. So. Right. I can kind of move past that that issue. Now, of course, I now need to come into a relationship with it as as a thing, but it's no longer sort of a thing that I need to say, "Oh, what the hell's going on?" Here? Right? Um, so, so that's that's one thing. And then Jonathan Pageau is an individual who I just really, really enjoyed the way he articulates and expresses things, and so I, I, I understand him. There's like a way of like when he speaks in certain ways, most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, I'm like, "All right, you're saying something both beautiful and true." And I understand it, and that helps me move, like maneuver my way into a deeper understanding. Was was real, real. and then I've been reading um, uh, Shemimon recently. Oh, you have <laughs> okay, yeah. And what's his name? I, I can't remember his name. T- pa- Patitzas? The the book's called Yeah, The,
0: the, the Ethics mm-hmm. of Beauty. Yeah. yeah. He was on. So so he I'm came like, on our podcast. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. So yeah, I'm three quarters of yeah. the
1: way through that book, and um, and I've jumped into some like you know, the, here here you can't necessarily say they belong to anybody but I've also delved into the uh you know the Cappadocian fathers and some mm-hmm. of the, the the early early guys um, which is also quite beautiful and so and then one off into other you know, John Chris Gosselin, how do you say, Chris, yep Chris that Chris Chrysostom
0: mm-hmm.
1: Chris system. John yep. um and Seraphim Rose and folks like that like I've kind of appreciate oh, you, you you're
0: in it you're in it well yeah. you're definitely yeah, I'm in it. it
1: and because there's something profoundly correct and beautiful and the point is beautiful right so this notion of a beauty first like what does it mean to reorient yeah. in, a sense, in that direction that loosens the grip of reason right truth first and when you loosen that grip you notice that the beauty first opens up a deeper ground where the reason has a way of situating itself properly but no longer is endeavoring to and it's funny, like the image that I had of like if we endeavor to grasp reality by means of reason. It has the feeling of like when you use your hand, you squeeze a piece of clay. Mm. And you like you deform the clay into the shape of your hand. And you look at it, and you go, oh, look, it looks like a hand imprint. You're like, yeah, it's because you squeeze the clay really hard. <laughs> <It's laughs> nice.
0: Very nice. Very nice. Um,
1: so, so yes, I think your your proposition is and what's beautiful there for me is I say, okay, this then becomes a Look, and by the way, my mind has uh, has long been not attached to paradigms. I am aware of how paradigms work, Mm -hmm. and so I'm not attached to the paradigm that Greg has put
0: forward. I just appreciate it. Um, But in this sense, beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. I find that our Puritan past Mm. actually substitutes the paradigm for God on on many levels we become adherents of the paradigm instead of adherents of the beauty or the truth to be able to put the paradigm aside. I really like that mm. um, because even orthodoxy and especially orthodoxy can become an idol and idolic paradigm itself that we're actually supposed to break through and that the truest form of existence is in not being quote religious which i want that's a question i have for you later about what is religion because it's very i'm sure it's changing all the time but so it's a beautiful thing and i don't not to preach but i think one of our problems just in modern society is that the paradigm is the idol and you know the right the left um you know the economy how a conservative approach it's fascinating to me that you are able to put that paradigm, not, not aside as if it's not true, but you can see it for what it is. I think it's important mm-hmm. for all of us.
1: Yeah, but just to pop into my mind is yeah. that uh, we can say that the notion of ideology is idolology. You know, That's right. That's this right. This is, you know, our friend John Verveke very clearly said, look, what happened, one of the things that happened was is that as we began to step away from religion for reasons, Um, We began to reify them as ideologies. And then we began to set up other ideologies sitting next to them that that cut away some of the trappings of religion because there was a propaganda war going on. But it's still idolology is at the center of all of that. Um,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yes, and And I think this is diagnostically correct, FYI. Definitely, I
0: agree with that. Do you think what happened to me, whatever, to you... Um, it happened to Peugeot, um, and then put put this weird corner of meaning aside. I think it's happening in culture. Do you think it's a return to religion in the West? Let's let's call them. I call them on the show the Light People, the people of the Enlightenment. That's me and you, whether we like it or not. We're we're of it. Does that thing go dark in the sense that we we can't hold those paradigms to? They don't hold, and then. A new religion is born is that what's happening on some level
1: interestingly enough probably not um and here's, here's one of the reasons why i would suggest not the civilization that we live in is really complicated it's <laughs> way <laughs> off the charts complicated and we may or may not have already sort of you know jumped a shark on that by the way because so much of that know-how lives in the minds of boomers who are very quickly going to be falling asleep. Yeah. And they didn't try to hand it off to anybody younger, so it, maybe sort of already, it may already be done. But let's, for the moment, say it's not. Um, there's a bunch of stuff that is in kind of part of the enlightenment or part of the, the set of faculties and capacities that came out of that moment in, in history that are strictly necessary to run this civilization. And if we, if, we, if we drop the ball on that, the number of people who will die and the number of people who will not go gently into that good night is so large that the end result is quite significantly bad. It may, in fact, be stri- strictly catastrophic, which if that happens, then maybe we are in the you know the big one, the book of Revelations.
0: Um, so, in, so in that sense, Jordan, to drop the ball on a thing we may identify as, let's say, less than healthy for us, like pure rationality, to drop the ball would be unchristian on, on some level. Because it, oh, yes. It, it would be to not care for our brother by simply rejecting all aspects of the culture we were born into. Yeah, out of a out of an ideological, yeah, assertion, I won't do that. It's dirty. Therefore, I'm out. And therefore everyone suffers. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, well, I will won't, won't, I won't, I won't wash, wash his feet. His feet are dirty. That's right. a Nicky thing. I'm not gonna do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so the, the the challenge of stewardship is to say, okay, this thing is out of control. It's a little bit more like a, you know an ox cart that's out of control. Like, okay, the ox cart's out of control, but but we can steward it back into being in control, and now it can functionally be an ox cart again. Like that's it's not that the problem is not that it, it's an ox cart. The problem is that it's out of control,
0: um, and it's probably on a hill going too fast and in the wrong direction, <laughs> something and, like and that. Way, it, and,
1: and we're and we're drunk. Well, let's just add, just make sure that the the guys who are in the ox cover have have also sort of lost all reasonable restraint.
0: We hit the mead too much mead, yes. (laughs) So,
1: so yeah, I mean, the the way I have told the story, and oddly enough, it continues to hold. It may dissolve at a point, but it continues to hold. There is actually a bit of a bifurcation. Uh, Either we 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 behave reprehensibly, and we actually allow tremendous tragedy that we could otherwise prevent out of something like an ideology or, or an, an idol worship, I would say, by the way, very much influenced by the adversary. Um, or we, we find a way of stewarding this thing and grounding this entire arc of reason in the deeper area of faith. We actually, James Polis, who I've known for some time, was just recently on Jonathan Pagiot, talking about this really funny phrase called Bitcoin monasteries. But that's basically what he's talking about, is grounding technology, the thing that humans have been doing, that is kind of like the, the, the ox cart out of control, grounding it in the monastic sensibility, right? grounding it in sainthood uh, and sanctification, which would ultimately then be to sanctify technology.
0: And that doesn't mean the opposite. Um, this appeals to me. I think there's a type of, would you agree with this? And again, this is like, I guess psychology. Again, I'm always using what I've been given because I'm a modern person. And then I always go to the prayer corner and just try to sort it out. Maybe mm-hmm. I shouldn't have used it, you know? Maybe let the candle, maybe silence sometimes is a better answer, but let's just do psychology for a second. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's not a type of psyche where all the things you're recognizing, a person recognizes, like ox cart, dirty, drunk. And then there's a type that wants to endeavor a relationship in the messiness. And then there's another type that sees the messiness as not worth the time and wants to stay clean outside of that space. Mm-hmm. I am drawn toward the relationship and trying to fix it up within the, within the filth. I don't know if that makes sense. I wonder oh, if that's totally. a One, two, type two. of person.
1: What, 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 I, what I was noticing as you were describing it is that it would almost like put it on a, um, a relational continuum. So say I'm mm. walking down the street and I see a homeless man who's drunk and filthy. Maybe I just walk by. Or maybe I'm the type that wants to stay clean and not get entangled in that. Mm. But then I look closer and it's my dad. Now, if I'm the kind of person who walks by my father, he was homeless and filthy. That's a pretty bad place to be. Holy smokes! I right. smoke. so I've got I got some work to do. All right, so, well, you're clean, and this- but are you? You're clean. Yeah, you're clean, but boy, you are not but clean, my friend.
0: Not clean. Right.
1: Yeah, you got some spiritual, some spiritual filth to work through. That's bad. And I get it, by the way. I can imagine if you know if you, if you were you know, your relationship now. You know, everybody's got their very particulars, But you get the metaphor, and maybe it's not your father, maybe it's your uncle, or maybe it's your neighbor. Right? Or maybe mm-hmm. it's your neighbor's son. Right? In each case, there's like a place where you're going to hit a threshold where the quality, the intensity, the characteristics of the relationship hit you. You go, know, wow, okay, this is something i got to be responsible for. This is something where I, I, I have an obligation to take care And then, as you say, there are types which go all the way out. They'll, as you say, they fly to Africa. Right? They go to a place that's very far away. Yeah,
0: and they right. say,
1: that's you right. know what? I'm going to take care here. And, of course, a saint, I would imagine, would have that experience all the way down to you know a leaf falling off a tree
0: well that's amazing that you say that because the saint at least in the Orthodox tradition again the, it, there's variations on it all throughout anyone who's believing a saint actually knows that the prayer the silent prayer is mm-hmm. actually stopping and taking care of the father or the the whoever's on the side isn't that nutty that the prayer, I had a friend of mine once, I was teaching at school, I really respected this woman, a very good teacher. And we got in a huge fight, I'll never forget, it was in front of kids, seniors in high school. And she goes, I don't understand why anybody goes to a monastery, a total waste of time, when you could actually lay hands on people and help them, But you got these people up on a mountain praying. But I could not go convince her or the whole class that it was of any use to pray, and what I realized in your in your phrase right there, what was brought out of me was the idea that the assistance is actually in the prayer, if there is such a thing, right? As that that medium called spirit, as in other words, yeah. it's real, and if it's real, that's actually assistance. But but I don't well, know now, if we, I we, always believe in myself.
1: We can, we can loop that because it, it what ends up happening. And this is a you know, I'll put I'll put it out there. Is something like you enter into the prayer. And then from the place of the prayer, the spirit then guides you. So, so, mm. so the spirit might actually say, yeah, go out and pick the guy off the street and bring him to the monastery. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. Right, exactly. Prayer, right. Or, or the spirit might say, yeah, you've done, you've done the thing that needs to be done. The space of prayer is complete. Silence mm. is the right place here. And that, I think, is like that's the thing that we humans, like this goes back to that of grabbing with reason. Um, oh, man, I mean, this is like this is the profound bottom dropping out. Um, that's actually an impossible problem to solve from the point of view of reason. Now we, we can't true. do it. This is where the Enlightenment runs into the shoals. Um, this is why you know every effort to build institutions on the basis of reason, to quote, unquote, solve problems, doesn't uh, ultimately actually work in a deep sense. Um, you know, entering into a space of fear, this is, has to be done for the place of the Spirit. And then the Spirit will guide you in that.
0: It's weird. I think old world cultures intuit that and that we can argue about, you know, which God is the right God. And that's it. That's an old world problem too. you know, hitting each other in the head over gods. We got rid of that. But the problem was we, we sterilized everything in a way like I like what you said, that it's so sterilized that the proper germs can't even live. That's so Mm. interesting. Mm. So how do your old pals, you know, pre this meaning i'm like i'll call it a meaning crisis in you i mean if it's got to be some sort of meaning crisis that leads somebody to christianity in 2024 um how are your old pals who aren't necessarily christians how are they doing what do they think of you (laughs)
1: that's a good question well i mean nobody has sort of called me out and i haven't been burned to the stake nobody's thrown big rocks at me so so far so good i suppose um i don't in some sense, obviously no word being said behind closed doors, um, sure. but at least in, in direct interactions, the, the interactions have all been beautiful.
0: Even when the interactions
1: have been, like, you know, one of my, maybe my best friend, he said, uh, well, I look forward to some long conversations about theology so we can talk about this tremendous error of judgment that you've made. Um, <laughs> I, that's great. That's, that. yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. That's, that sounds like a wonderful, like, honestly, one of the best things I can imagine. <laughs> because I have deep confidence. You,
0: go ahead yeah imagine if it was the other way oh i'm sure you did a great thing and it's wonderful and i'm gonna do it too whoa 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 that's very interesting but i i have a very good friend who's an atheist and what happens he comes on the show if he suddenly shifted i would want to know what was going on there on the other hand if it's yeah. genuine yeah fine yeah it's you don't
1: want to have and this is like the the, the errors when you talked about like this notion what is religion you know, the, the error is when you have an ideological commitment to religion. Right? Like, oh, yeah, I will true. just adopt that as a set of propositions, like a set of words that I nod my head to. I agree to this. Like you
0: know,
1: I have a statement of faith. And that's it. That's the end of it. <laughs> the mm-hmm, words. Right. Um, Saint, you could do that Saint, quick. You could do that instantly, but you can't actually live that way.
0: I think it's St. Um, I want to say it's St. Theodore. He wrote a book where he says, by seven the young girl or boy has everything they need for the rest of their life, except for one thing, and that is to be again converted in their teenage or early 20s. In other words, the, the parents have given them everything, at least should have. And now it's time for them to live that way until they live that way again, <laughs> which mm-hmm. I really like. Yeah, and uh, that's beautiful. it's for everybody, right on some level. It's like a constant manifestation of the thing that you believe to be true, but it's blessed doubt. And I wonder I wonder why that's hard for people to understand. I think it's because they're using the enlightenment framework. Well, my, my friend Zach Stein provided me a nice way
1: of describing what he calls the pre-tragic, the tragic and the post-tragic. Um, and the seven-year-old is in a pre-tragic state. They're, they're, they're in, a, in a received world, which, and frankly, even if it was not a pleasant world, is nonetheless not received at the level of tragic. Like for life. life just is a certain way. Um, and then when you go out into the world, and it's funny because like adolescence is the proper stage for the tragic experience of life, which is where your your naivete is shattered, that you're actually coming into a relationship not with your parents' world, but with the world. And you're going to have to learn how to live it. Or you're going to suffer Going to, you're going to undergo things that are going to break your, your uh, innocence and you will lose your innocence in the sense that you will actually engage reality directly and you'll have to come into relationship with it as a mature human, with the process of becoming mature. And that's a tragic sensibility. Now, the problem with the tragic sensibility is it's very unpleasant. So we, 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 we clothe ourselves with different ways to avoid the pain of that tragic sensibility. Like we, we rub salves on ourselves or we you know, drink ourselves into, into distractions. We can't feel the pain of the tragic sensibility. And if you get stuck in a tragic sensibility, that could be very bad. Like unfortunately, if your coping mechanisms are good enough, you just get stuck in the circle around the tragic sensibility. Like you're still sitting in it. You just can't learn it, You can't grow through wow. it as a result. And then if you get converted again, You've actually transitioned into the post-tragic sensibility, where you really actually feel the fullness of the tragedy of reality. Like you feel that life is a thing that is, has suffering built into it, and you say yes to it, right? And you're like yes, and I and I, I fully enter into it. I enter it in, like, consciously as a mature adult. I I step into this, um, and so that that bridge, cultures like real cultures, that's the you know, the process of becoming an adult. And we don't have those in our, in our culture. I'm not just the, I mean, the Enlightenment was a, a cut, but you know, it's a cut, really a deep cut at this notion of, of becoming an adult, massively. Like it's almost like the Enlightenment is the super amplification of adolescence in some deep sense.
0: Wow, I've seen this. I've invited you to this dinner over at this restaurant we started with our nonprofit, uh, where we do this Georgian feast called the Supra. Um, I'll tell you a quick story from there that I think illuminates exactly what this is that you're discussing, although it was very clear. Uh, a group came in, maybe 20, really very nice, 15 uh, women in their late 20s, early 30s, and they were throwing a birthday party for the their their friend. And I was the tamada. I was the one walking them through this very formal, but informal, oddly informal dinner where we toast and they were excited and their friends sat and everybody was excited. But three of their, her friends, the birthday girl's friends came to me just before we started the dinner and said, please, please, I need you to do this for us. I know there's a toast to the dead. So in different regions of Georgia, it's the fifth toast or the third toast. There's always a toast to those who have fallen asleep. Very essential toast. And they're pleading with me because they've heard their friends have come to the dinner before. Please don't do that one thing where you toast to the dead, please. And so I'm in an existential crisis because I've pledged to the people in Georgia who taught me this, that you always do this toast. And the reason is, is because what you're saying is because life does that, it goes up and it goes down. And, And so there's a reality to the table that must be adhered to. And so I said, hey, ladies, just trust me on this. And they wouldn't. They said, we're paying for this dinner for her and it's important that you do not do this. And so we're asking you, please, we're the, we're the customers, more or less. And I said to them, yeah, no, I gotta do it. You have to trust me. So the first toast, second toast, third toast, They were they were not happy, Jordan. The fifth toast comes and we do it to the dead. Now, it's a general toast to all those who have died. And then what do you think happened? Someone at the table toasted to her father who had just who had died only a week before or 10 days before. And then what happened was is what you described is maturity emerged, mm-hmm. like a true sense of maturity, not because they were bad or immature people, but they were forced to deal with that suffering, which was that moment past the threshold of, like you said, the, the, the teenage world. And then everyone was happy. I can't explain how the dinner ended except for in total joy because we properly suffered, if at least for a moment. Mm-hmm. It was really seminal for me to watch that happen. And I'm glad I didn't succumb to the marketplace. You're the paying customer. I can't, I will do that for you. And it was a, it was a big thing for me. And I think, I think all of us are going through this on some level. Um, I think it's part of it being a a wealthy society, being in a, I call it an obese society. I don't mean that in a negative way. We we have everything we need. And in some ways, we're trying to avoid the hard stuff. I don't know. What do you think about all that?
1: So, so I love the story. I'm glad it ended up that way. <laughs> like in the oh, middle the story, dead. I'm rooting for you. Come on, man. Come on. You got to stick to your guns. <laughs> Stop, yeah. but it's funny, it's like one of those teleologies. Like in some sense, it had to end that way properly. It had to. Like it, That was absolutely the only proper way for that story to end. And also because of the nature of how stories work, like in the middle of it, I'm like, oh, how did it end? Um,
0: it was see. a joy,
1: but it was it was nerve-wracking. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean our, our culture is, is numb, and this is the term. The term is called salience. Um, and the specific term is actually called super salience. It's like cotton candy. It's super salient. And so... We, we simultaneously extract the good and convert it back into something which is a super salient version of the good. And we extract the bad and, and numb it completely out of existence. Um, and this is because we have we have a, an excess of the capacity to, to meet our our desires, our passions, as suppose, in the orthodox sensibility. And we have a, a, a deficit of our ability to actually live wisely or in a mature mm. fashion and this 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 separation has gotten bigger and bigger the thing that we've got is better and better and actually doing that like that's our our superpower is we can we just keep spreading those two things apart um and it's tricky it's tricky because uh, without being in a proper level of discipleship there you go it's it's not, like let's just go with like fasting we don't fast in, in Western culture. Um, and I, and I being aware of the physiological benefits of fasting, yeah, I fast a little bit, but not much. Now I'm fasting every Friday. I'm not yet doing Wednesdays and Fridays yet. I did my first Wednesday and Friday last week. I, I didn't do it, I guess, today. I'm not sure why, actually. Probably because I'm a wimp. But um, it literally is only in the context of it's like, well, why am I fasting every Friday? Not because I want to be healthy. Because that's... I'm in discipleship. Like it's at a, a, a fundamental level. Like if I'm truly committing to Christianity, I have to, I have to, got, it's actually not my choice. It's actually a fundamental, the, the, the choice is so deep and it implies then these things that come back up from that deeper level. And so it gives the resolve to be able to go through the process of sanctification. It gives the resolve to go through the process of actually having that metanoia settle in your body. Um, and if you cut that off at the bottom, this is the critique of secular culture. If you cut that off at the bottom, the constraints of secular culture will drift towards the passions. They aren't grounded in something stronger than the passions, so the passions becomes the new god, and and then you will end up over there. And if you have the power to give yourself the passions or avoid them, give yourself the passions you like and avoid the passions you, you want, you will. And we are We have so the double move. Right? We cut ourselves off from the deeper grounding that has the strength to hold us, the spiritual strength to hold us. And we've become so good they were way over here and now of course closing that gap is is a difficult thing for people to to traverse
0: this is what a perfect description of the ascetic life so here's a question you're a business mind anyway you're, you're a business person you're around folks who are creating tech tech companies and and are powerful on some level right in a in a, in a capitalist society or in a corporate society, you know, some of the big players. So here's a question. Do they know anything about what you just said? The people generally, in that corporate culture, you just described a type of life, a a willingness to embrace Friday, for example, Mm -hmm. are Mm -hmm. they? Can they can they intuit? Can they place that and push it into their into their vision as business people or Mm, nice. So the deep answer is no. But here we have to actually speak to the
1: notion that to know something means to actually live on the basis of it, hmm. not, not to have a mental representation of it in your head. That's right. So the deep answer is no. Uh, many of them do have something like a mental representation of it in their head. Like I could actually tell you the story I just told. I could tell them the story I just told you, and I might even get nodding to it. But what happens is, are you familiar with the concept of spiritual bypass? You heard of this term? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's 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 in that category. So what ends up happening is that there's a um, uh, it's like a what do you call it the, the shadow government, <laughs> the shadow king, you know, the, the 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 ego, or or the reason or something like that is is, is situated in a position of being the shadow king, right. and then and then other things are put in place that, that, that look like an aesthetic life, um, but they're play acting; they're not really grounded all the way down in a kind
0: of commitment. So, they're actually designed to support the shadow key. They're, they're designed...
1: yes. Yeah, they're ultimately pointing up to the shadow. Key. Exactly. Right. Um, and you can see how that shows up, because as it as it matures, or not as it matures, as it ages, um, it gets ob- more and more obviously uh, You to you get know, that term obese, or more I uh, say grotesque, it's easier. And so you get this grotesque where you look at it and you're like, yeah, that's clearly not good. Like the fruits yes. are not good. <laughs> like something wrong is happening here. Right. Um, and I mean that in terms of like the the, the environment becomes uh, decadent in a way that is sort of increasingly obviously decadent. You look at it, like you mentioned, like the distance between, say, you know, Hugh Hefner circa 1953, you know, black and white first edition Playboy, and uh, kind of the gr- grotesqueries that are on the sort of the deepest. That's so
0: good. That's so good, born. Jordan. Yeah. That's right. right. You just, like, that's right.
1: Whoa. But if you realize that that, when you get it, like that actually is that. It you know, you just, you, you just just takes a while
0: to become obvious if you're living in right. chronological time. And, and that's that, right? His black and white, you know, leggy picture became whatever pornography is now. They're actually this, it's, in other words, uh, spiritual rationality, in other words, clear spiritual seeing already knew what that was
1: that's right. before
0: it was the thing that we now see. They it it was already that thing in full advance and and those seers are few and far between in 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 our Western society and so and also we don't listen to them although you and I are trying probably on some level we're trying oh but- I, am, I am
1: deeply trying and 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 there's the there's the the, the difficulty is um, as you said, they're few and far between and then there's also the problem that the the adversary is is perfectly capable of dressing up in those clothes. And so we have to actually develop a discernment to be able to know, ah, okay, that this is a sort of a, a saint saint. And this is actually the adversary dressed up like a saint. So.
0: <laughs> well, now you're into the realm of, of the church, of uh, the ecclesia, which I finally realized, and we could go, Jordan, we could talk a long time. I, I, I love, guys, this is I don't know. This is very easy. I I thank you, Jordan, for your time. But I want to. Can we just do one little thing on the church here for a second? Yeah, 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 sounds about right. I wanted to fight against the church 27 years ago when I became Orthodox because I want to fight against the notion that um, I'm in obedience and and my mother, the most magnificent Orthodox person I know, she was also willing to fight like crazy, and so. I, it can't, but what I started to realize is the ecclesia, if it's not somebody trying to make me obey. It's just a series of voices intertwined in wisdom. And so mm. the question is, are you going to listen or not? Because as my priest told me once, you don't have to fast. You don't have to do the marital fast. Do whatever you want to do. I'm telling you wisdom. You can choose it. I'm telling you how to be beautiful. Sorry,
1: and with your accent, your priest suddenly becomes very Jewish, like that had. I know. Rabbinical. By the way,
0: this is my New York thing that comes out whenever <laughs> I get excited. <laughs> I did. He was very rabbinical. But by the way, if you get if you could talk to a good Orthodox priest, they do have a lot of Rebbe in them. You know what I mean? It, it is yeah. like that. So, I and I. So when I finally realized that it, it's not a police. The, the church is not filled with policemen. It's 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 filled with wise old. Men speaking to you from and women speaking to you from two two thousand years ago. That that that's helpful to me. Super helpful. Well, and you know, well, in, in, you know I, you're a parent. I,
1: I believe I. Recall. I have four daughters. Yeah, mm-hmm. four daughters. I am um, also. How an, many kids an all-daughter you have? All- I'm an all daughter all the time kind of guy. <laughs> I have three. Right on. Um,
0: so we have a lot in yeah. common already. We can hang out.
1: So I've had this conversation as a hopefully somewhat wise and caring adult with my five-year-old, and it's like, you know, you know it's you, 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 I'm going to give you the choice of whether or not to, to, to do this thing. Like, let's say I have a simple one. I noticed that you have a, the salt shaker and you're pouring it into your water. Um, this is a beautiful, per, you know, perfect opportunity. From my point of view, as a person who's lived life, I will tell you that you're not going to like the taste of that water. It will taste <laughs> yucky. Um, but you can choose to do that, and you can you can learn for yourself how that works. And of course, as humans do, <laughs> she looks me in the eye and pours the salt into the water and then she tastes it and it's salty. Like Therein lies, that's like, that's the story of sin and wisdom all in a single beautiful little uh, you know uh tale of parenting. And then and when you grasp like, oh my goodness. So the, you know, the church is doing the same thing and I'm the five-year-old and I'm looking at him in the eye and pouring the salt into the water and tasting going, oh my gosh, why did I do that? And they're like, well, because you didn't listen.
0: Um, yeah um, the family scales up right the the idea of those with whom you learn how to be the family well your f- family your friends the church uh, everything scales up eventually into the ecclesia and then you start to realize who who is it and then that's Christ's body and then you really are touched if you really mm-hmm. stay in that space for a minute you realize you're participating in Christ. But it's obedience, man. It's it's a brutal. It's a brutal. <laughs> well, you know, it's a tough thing. cake
1: for us Americans too, because you know our both our origin story, and even our uh, like our, our origin narrative and our actual origin story, is that we are the disobedient. I mean, we are the That's prodigal true. son in, in, in perfect symbology. I mean, we, my ancestors, you know, left right. They left a place and came to a place, and not all of them. Right? Only a few, only the ones who were adventurous, some would just say disobedient, left. Um, and, and by the way, I, 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 a long line. They, they landed on one coast and they got kicked out of that place and, went and you know, kept moving inward until they were in Texas. That's right. And nobody, nobody tells you what to do. Um, <laughs> so it's actually kind of, from my point of view, very beautiful. Like if we think about the beginning of our conversation and this notion we're at the end of something big, hmm. there's something about the prodigality of us our particular piece of this story and the return like our return what does it look like for us to come into a place where we can return that has a beautiful piece of that story like we needed to go out here because that was part of the the liturgy the liturgy required our our prodigality so that our return was a deeper communion like we're bringing something like a yes i have i am i i know not to pour the salt in the water i get it Thank you, Father, for your wisdom and for your gift and for your care and for welcoming back into your family.
0: You, 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 in a flash, help me understand. This is when I say the little corner of the world. People are coming back and then they the father runs out. The father runs out and and grabs me back and says, OK, come feast and that has been my experience, man. And it's been so many, ex- the experience of so many of my friends. And these are educated people. You know what I'm saying? I think education right now probably makes it harder to be the prodigal, the proper prodigal. Mm-hmm. It probably keeps you in the pig pen, as Father Thomas Hopko said. What, what, West, in the West, what happened is the prodigal went out and then got in the pig pen and then said, you know what I could do with this pig pen? I could put a nice little carpet in here and then put some walls up and I could actually live pretty well in the pig pen. Yeah, that's really nice that's really nice <laughs> such a nice way to say it and then he says there's still a moment though when you wake up in the pig pen even though you yeah. got air conditioning in there and so I, oh i'm just thankful to be able to get on these calls with guys like you and sort it all out and who knows how it ends because because there's a lot of people that are going to reject this prodigal moment and who knows who knows what happens well, I can say that, um,
1: from my experience, right, to whatever apportionment of wisdom that I've been given in this life, I would suggest to them that the, the return, the feasting is real. Like It's been my experience as well. And uh, if, you, if you stop pouring the salt in the water, you can have, what's it called? You can have living water. And it's really nice. Wow.
0: Yeah, man. Well, let's do this, too. Let's make a promise, because I heard you in another great talk. Um. Let's keep doing, I like what you said, you said, I don't really reach out. I just try to accept conversations where there's something like a, a high chat going on like where we're just talking about the high things, and you know there's a service to being able to have this conversation and you you gave it to us today. I'm not kidding I, I think it was a really beautiful way just to put something good in the in the in, in the world and I, I, my mom always put put an oar in the water. <laughs> pull something, mm. bro, <laughs> do something. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, let's stay friends come and have come and have um, khajapuri. That's the, the the that's the Georgian cheese bread and bring your family. And um, I know you guys are about three or four hours in you're up in Carolina, North Carolina, We're in Carolina. So it's only about a 90 minutes. Oh, that's not too far. Yeah, that's right.
1: No, no, no. I've been trying to navigate like, what's the right logistics? Do I bring a bunch of people? Is it just me? Do I bring my family? Like, we're talking about it. It's in a live conversation in our in our house.
0: Well, I'll tell you what. This is such a central part of my life now, as as the as sort of the head of our organization. It 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 leads to great relationships and networks, and but what it really does is it gives me a lot of it gives me. Um, an image of the liturgy outside of the liturgy in a way that it, mm. it fills me up. It fills me up. And so, um, you tell me and we'll, we'll make it happen. Uh, yeah. Bring folks and we'll sit you around a big table and we'll do the Georgian, Georgian tradition, which is, oh. you know, it's, it's ground in the ancient, the ancient ancient. So.
1: That's beautiful. I, I just had a feeling of what the right thing looks like. So the, the spirit is moving in this,
0: my friend. Okay, brother. Well, Guys, Jordan Hall, and um, we'll talk again, and we can't wait. Well, well, Let's do it again. I don't know, six months, a year, we'll, we'll talk, or even sooner. I don't yeah, care.
1: Just reach out. Yeah, let me know. If you, if you feel like it's time to talk, let me know. All
0: right, I'm greet your easy. family. Greet your family, man, and I hope you have a beautiful day. Take care. Go I bless. will.
1: Blessings. Bye-bye.
0: Guys, that's it. I don't know, man. I, I don't know how this all happened, but meeting folks like that makes me happy. Jordan Hall, go check out his stuff, too. It's amazing. Lots of good conversations he's had with Verveke. I feel like he popped up with Jordan Peterson, John Pedro, all those cats. Uh, Jordan Hall, beautiful, wonderful. Guys, Symbolic World is next weekend. See you there. If this comes out in time, if it doesn't, then I'll, well, you know it didn't come out in time. Next week, go there. We're throwing a capy, throwing a Supra. Jordan Peterson's going also. See what kind of toast that guy makes. Should be very fascinating. Peace to everybody. Can't wait to meet you all down there. Peace out.